Tonight, we're going to finish up chapter 2 of Titus. We got down to verse 10. We're going to go 11 through 15. It's not a lot of verses, but it's an important portion um, because it, it, in a real sense, it ties verse 1 through 10 to the end of it. And, and it helps make sense. And it brings up a real issue that um, goes on today a, a lot that we, I, th- I think it's good for us to look at. So let's read verse 11 through 15. And let's talk about it a little bit. And it, for, and obviously whenever you see the word for or therefore at the beginning of a sentence, then it's what we call a connecting word, it tying something together. Uh, so it's not a standalone, it's something happened beforehand, then it says for, and now it ties it into the latter part. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave us his life. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what, what you say. And that last part, you know, you can take that a lot of ways. You can say, okay, this is Paul talking to Timothy. Um, excuse me, this is Paul, Paul uh, talking to Timothy uh, from the island of Crete and talking to Titus. I keep saying Timothy. T- Timothy's in Ephesus. This is Titus. He's in the island of Crete. Um, And so you could take this this way. You could say, okay, well, he's encouraging Titus that he has the authority to deal with situations as he should as the leader of that group. But then take a little broader aspect. um, You might ask the question, okay, do we have, do we all have the authority to correct people when necessary and don't let anyone disregard what you say? Well, I think there's there's a balance to that. If you go around correcting everybody, you probably will be a very unpopular person. Um, and the way you say it, primarily, you know, I think when we correct someone, a lot of times we need to make sure we do have the authority to correct them, that you're in that position of authority. And also, we we want to make sure they are open and desire what we have to say. Uh, You have have a wide open door when someone says, what do you think about this? Then walk right in. But if you just walk right up to them and they haven't asked you your opinion and you begin to correct them, you know, if they're not your child, (laughs) they're probably going to say, you know, if you don't mind, just mind your own business. 
so a lot of times you have to pray for God to open up that door to give you that place where you can speak into their lives. Because we see, you know, we see things that are wrong. Um, and we, we see people making choices that are wrong choices. But you have to be careful if you want to correct someone in what they're doing. Because what you can do is, if you don't watch it, you can actually alienate them, drive a wedge, uh, and they don't want to hear what you have to say. So walk through that door carefully. And I know that's not really the whole context of what this end is uh, going. And and you want to look at more in that, you probably look at Galatians chapter 6, the whole last part of the chapter 6, where it talks about uh, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault... Consider yourself carefully and go to your brother, you know, in humility. So there is a time and a way that you go to someone if you see somebody walking in something that's really dangerous and detrimental to them. You really have to kind of walk carefully into that. So what we want to talk about tonight, and I love the fact that he says, for the grace of God. Go back to verse 11, if you would, Chuck. For the grace of God has been revealed. So... If you remember from last week, we talked about uh, different groups of people and that they should live respectable, decent, godly, moral lives. We talked about older men, talked about younger men. We talked about older ladies, talked about younger ladies. We talked about slaves or employers and employees. So five groups of people. And then we talked about how each one of those should live a godly life, should live a life that reflects who God is in their life. And so having really talked about behavior in the first 10 verses, now he connects it and says, for the behavior should be this way, for the grace of God has been revealed. Who is the grace of God? How has God revealed his grace to us? Jesus. He is the grace of God. He has revealed to us the grace of God. Now, before we talk a whole lot about grace, I I did, I wanted to cover kind of two areas. And I asked two questions. You see them on your handout there. Um, Because the first two, I want to talk about universalism. And then the second one is inclusivism. Boy, say that ten times in a hurry. Uh, inclusivism. Uh, you just barely get it out one, one time. But what are those? And what do they mean? Well, I gave you a shortened version of that. The first one uh, is, it is the idea that everyone will be saved in the end, no matter what you do or believe. There is no hell in this belief system as all people go to heaven no matter what. So there's no reason to believe in hell if you think everybody's going to go to heaven. And it is a an, an extreme idea of grace. In other words, they've taken grace and they said grace is so wonderful and God's grace is so amazing and it's so complete that everybody, even the devil, even the demons, everybody is going to get saved, and in the end, we'll all be with God in heaven. Uh, And the difficulty is is that 
it, it doesn't promote holy living. That mentality basically lets you do whatever you want to do, live any way you want to live. Uh, and, you know, this thinking, this idea has been around for thousands of years. It's been around ever since Jesus and the gospel has been around because the enemy is always coming up with belief ideas that allow people to do what they want to do and still be saved. They're always looking for ways to live a life of unrestricted uh, pleasure with no one telling them what to do. And so this is one way. I I don't know if you remember, it was years ago, a guy named Rob Bell was a real popular teacher, and he got a hold of this universalism uh, and decided that he believed in it and that um, he lost a lot of believers, a lot of faithful people that followed him, and now he's, he's in a whole different circuit going in a different direction. And just recently, uh, who was the guy at the Mars Church? Carlson Pearson got into it. He actually got into it before Rob Bell, but the other guy, Mark Driscoll, uh, was was in got into it too. So it's 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 a. I'll ask you, what is attractive and what has drawn people into that? Because it's clearly, I mean, even if you just took Titus chapter two, this tells you that you do these things. For the grace of God has appeared, teaching us to live a holy life. So it clearly, that's what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to tie belief with behavior. He's trying to say our holy living is because of the grace of God. And he, he's wanting to make sure because they had the same problem at that point that we have today. So let me ask you, why is it that big leaders and, and other people... Why have they gotten into this thinking, and it's, it is an extreme view of grace? Anybody have any ideas why do people go this way? Justify their lifestyle, that's probably a, a, a good answer. Why else? What's that? Okay, yeah, probably so. Penny? Easy. Well, you're right. It isn't easy. I mean, you can't hardly miss anything. You can do anything you want. And in the end, you're going to get saved. It's, it's uh, Yeah, you're right. It's pretty easy. Somebody had their hand up way back there. I can't remember. I missed a hand. Anybody? Anybody else? Yeah, Barry, what did you think? Yeah. No doubt, it is a deception, and it does hurt others, but unfortunately, it's so attractive. It's that easiness. Freddie, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So 
mean, and then under our God in, in our culture here, there was this huge thing of tolerance. And so preachers today don't want to come off as being or labeled as intolerant for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, somebody asked me before church, and we were talking about just the issue of being judgmental. Uh, and I think sometimes people will try and get you off their back. Well, they say, well, you shouldn't be judgmental. Well, I, I agree that kind of like at the beginning I talked about, you really have to be careful if you're going to speak correction in someone's life. Um, and I agree that it says, judge not, lest you be judged. And he wasn't saying you don't judge. He was simply saying, when you do judge, you need to understand that with that judgment, people are going to be looking at your life. They're going to be examining your life. So if you're going to make a judgment about whether something's right or wrong, then you better make sure your own life is lined up uh, because they are sure going to look at your life. But we are called to be fruit inspectors. He said, you will know them by their fruit. And we're to make a judgment about whether fruit's good or bad, right or wrong. I mean, we make that judgment every day about whether something's right or something's wrong. Now, again, you've got to be careful. You've got to be tender. You've got to be humble. And, and not come off as holier than thou, but really care about that individual if you're going to speak into their life and try and bring any correction. But I think when they use the judge not, they're just using it to try and keep you from opening your mouth and telling them the truth. Uh, because they probably know the truth about their sin, and they don't really want anybody telling them that their life is sinful. So I think that's probably some of the other reasons uh, all apply to that. But let's look just for a second at a little different version of extreme grace. It's called inclusivism. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it, it's, it's very works-oriented. And what it basically means is that um, if you just believe in God and you have good works, and you're a sincere person, you'll go to heaven. And it takes out the need for a personal relationship with Jesus. It just, you've got to work hard, you've got to do a lot of good deeds, you've got to be a good person, uh, and, and it, you just need to believe in God. Well, you know, I don't know anybody who doesn't believe in God, just, you know, except a few atheists, but everybody believes in God. That's not the issue. The issue is Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who died on the cross for our sins. He is the propitiation. He is the one who gives us our atoning sacrifice for our sins. So it, there's a huge difference. And that's why, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, Jesus came to show us that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Because he is the one who died for our sins. Uh, he is God's great gift to mankind, pro providing for our salvation. So, inclusivism sounds good. You know, God just includes everybody. If you're just sincere and you're a good person and you're, you do good things, then you're okay. Well, it's, it's a, it's a works-oriented. 
Um, and what's interesting is the universalism is kind of like anything goes. You just do anything you want. This is very works-oriented and kind of forces you, you have to toe the line with whatever, whoever is making up the rules. You've got to be that good person and then someone gets to determine what the good is. You know, someone gets to line out the rules and regulations of what, what is good and what isn't. So it's, it's another perversion of grace. So give me your best. These two are a definition, are, are extremes of grace. What is the grace that we believe in? Anybody? If somebody walks up to you and says, man, I've heard about God's grace, what is that? What do you say? More than just Jesus. What do you say? What do you say, Morrison? Unconditional love. Okay? Yes. Okay. Yes. Undeserving love. I love it. Yeah. Nikki? Yeah. Everything about grace points to how much he loved us and how it has nothing to do with us. You know? totally different from the inclusivism it's it's all about god and not about us he has forgiven us not based on our works but because of what he did at the cross it is the greatest message in the bible is the grace of god that has appeared to mankind that has come in the person of jesus and that grace teaches us something it teaches us to deny ungodliness it teaches us to walk in righteousness it teaches us to deny ourselves, and it teaches us to live a holy life so the grace of god is wonderful but it all it's also a teacher it's an instructor it helps us you know i've listed a couple of things here on the third question that is how do you describe the the faith that we have that leads us to salvation i've listed uh several things uh, I just tried to find and think of different ways that I would describe to someone um, the faith that we have that leads to salvation. So, if again, kind of the same, a little different than grace. But if you were just going to explain salvation to somebody that leads us to salvation, how do you do that? Everybody wants to be a witness for the Lord, right? I mean, we and we want to be prepared for that. So how can we um, express our faith in Jesus Christ? How can we explain to them what our faith gives us and what what salvation really is? Anybody? Put your thinker on. Yes, Tiffany. Give your testimony. Man, that's a great start. You say, well, I don't know any verses. Well, you don't have to know any verses. Just tell them, this is the way I was. I was messed up. And this is what God did in my life. 
And my life is a whole lot better. You know, God has done amazing things in my life. He has forgiven and just, you know, express. Just start out with your testimony. I love it. Yeah. Anybody else? How do you, how are we going to express who we are? Yes. Okay, define to me what you mean when you say walking in the light. Okay, living as Jesus lived. I, I like that. I agree with that. So it, it is going to be impossible to tell somebody if you're not living in the light. If your life, if you're walking in darkness and you try and tell someone about the glorious light of Jesus Christ, it's not going to go over real well. You know, they're just going to say, well, that's, you know, you're not even living it yourself. So, yeah, I agree. You've got to walk in the light. Yes. Okay. Okay. I think whenever you talk about he died for our sins, I think it's good for us to acknowledge to that person that we're talking with that we have sin in our life, that we are not perfect, that we have, we have problems, that we sin, that we have fallen short. You know, you don't want to come off as somebody that doesn't have any problems. But, you know, we're not perfect, but God has forgiven me of that sin. And I'm a new person. Freddie? Right. And the judge says, okay, you're guilty, you have to pay this fine. And then somebody walks in and says, you know what, don't worry about it, I'll pay this for you. And, and just being able to relate to them on a level of just going to, we violate the law, our natural law. And then how would you if someone came in and paid your fine? Well, man, that would be awesome. But guess what? Somebody really paid your fine seriously because mm. all of us violated God's law because we're born with a tendency to violate it. But he paid that. Yeah. That's a good way to relate it. Very good. Yes. Okay, if that person you're talking with and he's and you use that term born again, and maybe they kind of wrinkle their eyes a little bit, and they say, well, would you explain that to me? What, what is this? I've heard of this phrase before, born again. Explain that born again. What would you say then?
Amen. Good. Good. I like it. Yeah. Yes. Now, you know some people are going to have a hard time when you say God speaks to you. Now, I'm with you. I, I, I'm all the way on your side. I believe he speaks to us. Thank God he speaks to us. Every morning he speaks to me. And, and, and during the day, he gives direction. And, but there are some people that when you say God speaks to me, again, they wrinkle those eyes up a little bit. And they say, what do you mean God speaks to me, speaks to you? Well, explain that. So what do you say then? Okay. Okay. And I think it's important somebody had, Renee, you had your hand up? No, you didn't have your hand up. You got, did you scratch your nose? Yeah. Yeah, and I like I like the phrase that you just used when you said God laid it on my heart. I think you could say He spoke to me in a still small voice in my heart, in my in my mind, in my thoughts. It's important because you don't want to teach someone who's new in the Lord and give them the impression that every time God speaks to you, it's an audible voice, because usually it's not. You know, I've walked with the Lord over 50 years, and there's only been one time in my whole life where I felt like God spoke to me audibly. So 99.99999% of the time, it's going to be that still, small voice 
He lays it on our heart. And then I like what else you said, and that is he, he also, especially when he's trying to speak to you about something, he will confirm that. And the confirmation can come in a lot of ways. Some, you hear it over here. Your friend may say it over here. You may hear it on TV. You may hear it at church. Someone may come up to you. Your pastor may preach on it. Or you may be just reading and all of a sudden you come across a verse that confirms that. So God can confirm what he's laid on your heart or spoken to you, that still small voice. And sometimes, you know, you just have to, God speaks to you. And, you, you know, that's why it's so important. I love it when you write it down. So good, because that way then you, when God confirms something to you, then you can say, oh, okay, I remember that. You can go back to that. You can see where that was a confirmation of that. And then someone says it, and then that was a confirmation of that. And again, I agree. It may not be verbatim what God put on your heart, but it's close enough that you believe God is trying to speak to you about that particular area. I agree with that. So again, all this relates to sharing our faith with Jesus Christ. And I think bringing up spiritual birth, and I had, that's the one of the verses that I had here. He referred to that, John 3, verse 3 through 8. Uh, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back to his mother's womb and be born again? So he's kind of saying, well, I don't understand. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can only can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So it's not going to be something you're going to be able to see. You say, well, I was born again. It's not going to be something where you can see it with your physical eyes, but you're born of the Spirit. There's a new birth that goes on the inside. Um, I think all those are important. Uh, the second thing that I talked about that you may want to bring up, these are just ideas you can use as you're trying to share your faith. Justification by faith, Romans uh, 3.25 says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that, God, that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. So, again, just recognizing what Jesus did for us. And, and it's a different... You know, the way you relate to this particular person and you're sharing your salvation, a lot of times it's going to be who they are. What are you going to, you may just want to talk about your testimony. We start out with that. Uh, but you may want to talk about spiritual birth and being born again. You may want to talk about the sacrifice that Jesus gave you. You know, this is where you have to be led by the Spirit and you have to hear, even while you're talking with this person, I feel like the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you about what direction you need to go in, what example you need to use, because there are so many. This other one, reconciliation with God, you could talk about that, Second Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. All this 
And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God, I love this verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And so you may want to talk about how, you know, if you're talking to them, that God reconciles us with himself. We were apart from God. Our sins separated us from God. But God wants to reconcile, bring us back together. And you could use the illustration of a family that's separated. They're mad at one another. You know, whole families fighting and feuding, and they don't want to talk to one another. And you might say to that person, what needs to happen in that family? And they may say, well, they need to be reconciled, or they need to forgive one another. And you say, yeah, that's exactly what God wants to do. We have been separated, alienated from God, but through Jesus we can be reconciled uh, through what he did. He, he gives, and then not only are we reconciled, but he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's why I believe God calls all of us uh, to reconciliation or to witness to others. Another aspect you could talk about, we've been delivered from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. It is written in the Scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And through Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham that so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. And that was a phrase, that was just talking about the curse of the law. That would relate to Jews. They, they, they would connect with that immediately. They would understand when he's talked about we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. And anyone who's hung on a tree is cursed. And he took that curse for you by being hung on a tree. Now that doesn't relate to us particularly it's not a part of our tradition. It's not a part of our culture. But it would, so this might be something, if you were witnessing to a Jewish person, this might be something you might want to talk about or use uh, in that. And another one would be high priest. He's our high priest and perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 8, 6. These are just some verses that you could use. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior the old priesthood, for he is the one who meditates for us, a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So, you know, all of these, again, just some ideas on how you can share your faith. Now, you probably don't want to use every one of them. Because <laughs> if you did, you kind of blow them away. You know, you, you can overload people. You, you, you know that. So tidbits, little bit is better than too much. Because if you just say too much and just pile the scriptures on them, uh, even if you used every one of the scriptures we just read, it would probably be way too much. It'd be better to just take one area and focus in on that. Yes, Annie? I like it. Yeah. So, 
both good, excellent verses. But they tell us, especially the passage there in First Peter, when people give us a question, when they ask us, we really need to have some answers. You know, it helps if we will have some intelligence and some learning and some study to have to, to know. I mean, we started out with the testimony, and, and I think that's an excellent way to begin. But, you know, we need to be armed and ready for a defense. Because some are going to want to say, well, tell me why you believe what you believe. That testimony was great, but tell me why. Tell me what. Explain it to me. A lot of people want to understand. Barry? Okay, what Barry just said, if you didn't hear him, and that is that we can pray and ask God to give us opportunities to share faith in Christ and open up some doors. So, if you pray that prayer, what is going to happen? Most likely, you will get some opportunities. I don't think it's a question as to whether or not God's going to give you some opportunities. I think the question is, do you want to pray for those opportunities? And when he gives them to you, what are you going to do? Are you ready to walk through the door? I'll just say this. If you're not ready to walk through the door, don't ask for God to open the door. You know, because, you know... You pray, oh, God, give me somebody to tell about Jesus. Give me an opportunity, Lord. And then tomorrow you get that opportunity. And you go, uh, uh, I go to Living Word Church. You know, and that's, that's wonderful. But I want to tell you, it's so much a hundred times better. If you tell them about Jesus. Give your testimony. Share something with them. Get in a conversation with them. You know, they need to know. We need to have the ability to give an answer. We need to be able to share what is reconciliation with God. Yes. That's right. I think that's a good word, and and it's a reminder to us that not all of us are called to harvest everything you sow. And you're sure not going to harvest it 10 minutes after you sow the seed. 
If somebody gets saved after you start talking to them about Jesus, I can assure you, you didn't, you weren't the first one to sow the seed. Seed was sowed a long time before then. And there have been some people who watered that seed and added to that seed and encouraged that, that, and until that seed comes up and all of a sudden now they're hungry and now they, they've got to make a decision. And the decision is up to them, but they're hungry. And, and maybe you're the person to harvest, maybe you're not. Renee? The bugs are going to come. <laughs> you, you, you're talking about the enemy is always going to be coming in to throw a monkey wrench and to do something. Absolutely. Uh, you can expect, in fact, Expect opposition. If you're a sow, seed sower or a person who waters or a person who shares your faith, you will get opposition. But don't let that throw you. Don't let that slow you down. Uh, it just, you know, God is the one who brings the harvest. You know, one of the interesting things, taking this from the church church's perspective, um, you know, we do things in outreach, and we may or may not see the harvest. And, you know, we may, let's take our pumpkin patch, since we're coming up on the pumpkin patch coming up in October. You know, we sowed a lot of seed, even the Easter thing. We sowed a lot of seed. You know, if that seed comes up and they get born again and go to another church, you know, that's fine. Because the kingdom of God is increased, and that's what we want. It's not whether or not this church is increased. The idea is that the kingdom of God is increased. And so we may sow seed, and it may come up in another city. It may come up in another church. It, it, all that doesn't matter. All that matters is that the Lord of the harvest reaps the harvest. And people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, and that they're walking in that knowledge that's all we want you know the goal is not to build our kingdom the goal is to build his kingdom god will handle everything else he handles all that other stuff you just focus on oh, lord help me to be a, a person who sows seed in whatever way i can amen another question i have for you just the thought uh, to, to think about this and that is the the, the fourth thing and that is um and I kind of gave you the answer to this. What is the key word in Titus 2.11 that ties behavior with belief? What is it? I told you. Four. Four. And if you're real Texan, four. Over. And a lot of times it'll be therefore. But here it's just four. That ties the behavior of verse 1 through 10 to the beliefs in verses 11 through 15. And so always understand that they are intricately tied together. 
And it is not salvation by works. It is salvation followed by good works. And we are so excited about God who has done amazing thing in our life that we want to do good things so that others might receive Jesus. That's not salvation by works. It's just, but good work should flow in our life and those good works should be involved in and directed toward telling others about Jesus. Explain uh, atonement. Somebody asks you, what in the world is atonement? What does that mean? How does atonement relate to us? What's that? Okay, close. Uh, what, what does the word atonement mean when it talks about our salvation? Okay, it is talking about how the blood of Jesus has paid the price, the complete price for our sin. To atone is to pay for. To, and, and the mercy seat was the place of atonement where the blood was placed and that was paid for. Uh, and, and Freddie used that illustration of God paid for our sin. He paid the price. He paid the fine. And atonement is the blood of Jesus is our atonement. And, and the truth of it is, is that, and if you're sharing this with somebody else, we cannot pay for our own sin. We are sinful. Therefore, we cannot pay for our own sin. It took someone who was without sin who could be the one to pay for our sin. And he, therefore, is the atonement, the price paid for our sin. And then the last question, kind of just a thought-provoking question that I thought about According to Titus 2.14, it says Jesus has freed us from all sin. Why are so many Christians not walking in that freedom? Let's read 2.14 again. It says he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to, t- to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to do his good work. So if Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, why do so many Christians not walk in that kind of freedom from sin? Condemnation? Okay. Penny? Deception? Okay, that's a possibility. They don't forgive themselves. Interesting. Yeah, I think that probably is. So if we can't forgive ourselves, then we therefore do, we don't believe God really has really forgiven us. And if we don't walk in his forgiveness, then we don't walk in his freedom. Interesting, yeah. Okay. So they continue in their old sins. Why? (laughs) Okay, Nadine. Okay.
Okay. Okay, and that's kind of along the line of what I was looking for. Um, and the key word, that you said it, and that was, it's a process. And someone may say, okay, Jesus set us free from all sin. How come Christians aren't walking in freedom? How, how come they're in sin? And there's no doubt that Christians struggle with sin. And the key is, is understanding it is a process that when we get born again, that our spirit man is made perfect in Christ. But our soulish realm's got a lot of problems. You know, our whole mind, will, and emotions, and thoughts, and ideas, and experiences are all messed up with all kinds of old junk from the old life. And it's, it's almost like you've you got to get in with a big shovel and get it all out. And it takes a while to process. And, and after you got rid of the big stuff, then you, you, you got the broom. And then you got the toothpick. And then you got the toothbrush. And now you're, God is working in you, getting every area. It is a process. And sure, you may get rid of some of the big stuff at the beginning. And then maybe some of the smaller stuff. But the enemy, while you're going through this process... You have to remember that the enemy is going to resist you from making any serious progress. And I can't tell you how many times people say, well, I, I go two steps forward and I go two steps back. And I go two steps forward and I, and I go two steps back. I can't seem to make any serious progress. Well, that's the enemy's opposition. He doesn't want you to make any progress. Keep walking forward and learn from when you... Step back so that you'll not do that next time. You know, and I, I'll say this, all the APOR guys are here. Um, I, and I, I, love, I love these guys. You know, I really do. Uh, to me, they're a great testament of, to what God can do in every person's life. And one thing I say to many of them when I'm talking, if I get a chance to talk to them, which I love to do. And I tell them I hang in there. <laughs> I probably said that to all of them, hang in there. And why do I say that? I say it to everybody. It's a process. And you're not going to win this battle overnight. It has taken you a, a while to learn your bad habits. Right? Takes you a while. But if you serve the devil long enough, you get good at serving the devil. And you establish bad habits. And those bad habits become the way of your life. Then you get born again. It's the beginning. It's a, but it's the beginning of a whole new process of getting rid of a lot of junk. And putting in the right stuff, the word of God. So it's getting rid of the old putting in the new and it's the process they're going through it it's why it takes time um, and some of them you know they go through the nine-month process and then some stay for a longer process through the leadership but what they're going through folks we're all going through <laughs> truthfully we're all going through the same program 
We're all getting rid of the old. Putting in the new. And learning how to get rid of all that old junk that has gotten us in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. And so I want to encourage you is that don't get discouraged if you're not making enough progress. Or your progress is not going fast enough. Just take it every day. Renee? And and exactly, tell me exactly, Brother Renee, how long is this process going to go on? Till I die? You're right. <laughs> Freddie? So how many of you are willing to go through the process? Even if it hurts. Even if God steps all over your toes. And for some of us, swats us upside the head with a two before. All right, come on, stand to your feet. Keep your hands up. By your hands up, you're saying you're giving God permission to do whatever he needs to do keep you in this process. Lord, we lift our hands to you as an act of surrender, and we simply say, Lord, here we are. And Lord, you have saved us and redeemed us by the precious blood of the Lamb. Lord, we ask you to help us in this process of working in us who you are and getting rid of all the junk in our life. And we know there's opposition from the enemy, but Lord, you are greater than the enemy. And devil, you are not going to win in Jesus' name. You are not going to cause us to be discouraged or depressed or give up. We are not giving up. 
We are going to continue in this process because we know God is greater than the enemy. And you will bring to pass every good thing that you desire to do in our life, Lord. And I thank you for that. I bless you in Jesus' name. All the people of God said amen. 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 You are dismissed to get after that process.